You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. So have you guys ever had this experience where you were working really hard, someone was hurting, and so you were working really, really hard to bring comfort to them or peace or some sense of God's presence, and it went terribly wrong for you? I'm going to share two stories about myself in just a moment, uh, one where it almost went really bad, and another when it went terribly wrong. Uh, more about that in just a moment, but I want to do want to welcome you. If you're part of our Olathe campus uh, at Prairie Creek Elementary, welcome, guys. If you're at the Overland Park campus in the venue or in the auditorium, welcome as well. And those of you online, whether you're in San Diego, uh, Costa Rica, northern Iraq, wherever in the world you are, uh, welcome. We think God has something special for you today. We're going to be in our Bibles or Bible apps in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you want to join me there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Our ushers in our locations have Bibles. If you want to raise your hand, they'll get you one of those Bibles. You can borrow it or keep it. Our first story is about balloons, how balloons went almost terribly wrong. So this is a funeral I did years ago, and the family requested for two helium balloons to be provided. And so we said, absolutely, we're there for you. We'll, we'll bring those. They'll be released you know, ceremonially at the graveside service. So I'm in the car with uh, our executive pastor, Brian Gann. It's cold. It's icy outside. We're idling outside the funeral home until it's time for me to walk in. It's time to walk in. I open the door. Whoosh. There go the balloons. No! So it's icy. It's cold. It's also early on a Saturday morning. And I am running. We've got to imagine my tie is flying behind me. They're tantalizingly drifting. They're not right. They're drifting. I'm running down the parking lot. No! Jumping. No! Just miss it. No! Just miss it. Over and over. Till finally, they rise to heaven. Ugh! So I go in and do the funeral. Brian has to run out and try to find somewhere early on a Saturday morning to find helium balloons because we already released the balloons. And so we find, I'm like, I'm lengthening the funeral till I see Brian come in the back door, give me the high sign. Woo! All right, we can close this funeral up. So that was, but almost went bad. But you know, these moments you try really hard. Don't, don't we all in these times of death, you try really hard to be helpful. Here's another story. This is about my Aunt Laura. My Aunt Laura was 95 years old when she passed away. She's the sweetest lady ever. By the way, that red spot on her forehead's not a style, uh, style moment. That's a stain on the photo that later. But she was the sweetest lady. And um, so I, I did the funeral. And so we were supposed to have a burial service for my Aunt Laura, 95 years old. And so I made this comment. Guys, I just want to invite you on behalf of the family to join us. We're going to drive out to the gravesite. Hold a short burial uh, committal service. My dad in the front row realizes I've not been told about a change in plans. So he whispers to me, no, 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 no burial. Cremation. Cremation. Got it. So I uttered these words at a funeral with my 95-year-old dead aunt. At this time, the family uh, was going to say, we're not holding a burial service. Right after the funeral, we'll be crucifying my aunt. And, oh yes, I uttered it. 
We're going to take her body out and nail it to a cross in a moment. Just want you to know, we treat her with honor and dignity. And my dad's eyes get really big. He's like, no, not, not crucified. Cremation. And I, and I, I realized, I went, oh, no, we're not going to crucify. I'm so sorry. We're not going to crucify my aunt. Cremation. Oh, I was so embarrassed. But, but death is a weird time for us. Isn't it a weird time? Death stirs up all types of feelings and emotions in you. I think all of us want to handle this moment really, really well. We want to handle hearts well. We want to bring comfort to others well. It's, it's, death is a weird moment, but we all want to do a really good job of helping others find comfort in death. And I've probably done dozens of funerals over the years. I look back at my notes. Um, my own relatives passed away, 86 95, 96, 100. Um, and it's, it's, different, it's, it's sad. It's a different feel than the other, like the young people I've done funerals for. 21, 19, 6, 5 weeks old. Those are gut-wrenching. And if you're like me, all of us want to handle this moment really well. It's always weird. It stirs up things in you. You want to find, help others find comfort in death. You want to find comfort in death yourself. Is there anything about being a follower of Jesus that makes our grieving different than other people? And the answer is absolutely yes. Our grief for those who have received Christ as Savior is just a different type of grief. Something's mixed in there. We're going to see that in just a moment. Today we're talking about finding comfort in death. And I, I want to encourage you, if you know, you, uh, take, take really good notes today. Take really good notes. Because if you know somebody who pa- had, that had a relative or friend pass away in the last year, that first year is hard. They need you to take really good notes to share these words of hope with them. Or maybe you need to take really good notes because unbeknownst to you, someone you know or someone you know will lose someone. They need to take really good notes today so you have these chapters and references so you can help bring comfort to them in this time of death. And so that's our topic today. I'm going to pray and we'll walk through finding comfort in death. Let's go ahead and pray and then we'll dive in. God, we're bringing up a topic that it brings, it's, it's a weird, surreal moment when people we care about pass away. It's a hurtful moment. And there might well be people here who've lost a loved one in the last year. Or even our own community, we've lost people in the last few months. And it's just really hard, Lord. And we pray you'd bring comfort and hope to those who need to sense your comfort and hope. Jesus, we pray you would connect people to you. They receive you as Savior. Help us to learn these words of comfort. So we can follow you as we make disciples and help others find their peace and comfort and rest in you. Thank you, Jesus. You conquered death and conquered the grave 2,000 years ago. And you bring us hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, we're in a series right now. It's called The Pioneer Spirit. We've said that if you're going to make disciples, you're going to actually follow Jesus. You're going to need to take a, have a risk-taking attitude, a pioneer spirit to make disciples who make disciples themselves. I'm going to read this section. Uh, it starts in verse 30. Just listen the first time through as Paul, Silas, and Timothy write this young church plant. Their concern is people were dying in their church. And are these guys going to miss out 
on something that, that come Jesus Christ's return. No, they're not going to miss out. He's addressing this in verse 13. He says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. All right, let's walk through this in three sections, three phrases to look for, three larger lessons to help others find comfort in death, find ourselves as well. Here's the first phrase you can write down. It's the phrase sorrow. The word sorrow you can write down. Paul talked about the sorrow of funerals, and every funeral I've ever had has had sorrow, every one. It's always hurtful to lose, lose somebody you love. It is always, you wonder what could have been if they still were alive. It hurts. And by the way, sorrow and grieving is really healthy for you. If you're a person who denies your emotional experience, you uh, fear your own emotions, you stuff those emotions. Emotions that are stuffed control you. They control you. Which is why grieving is such a healthy, normal process. We need that to process the legitimate human design you have from God. So Paul talked about this in First Thessalonians 4, verse 13. He says this, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Ignorant doesn't mean they were intentional about this. They just lacked knowledge. Ignorance is no knowledge. They lack some knowledge about what happens to people when they die. Concerning those who have fallen asleep. So fallen asleep is a euphemism for death, a synonym for death. And throughout the scriptures, it says people died and they rested with their ancestors. People died and they fell asleep. It's a euphemism for death. Lest, here's the concern, lest you sorrow, a warning about sorrow as others who have no hope. So are you saying it's wrong to sorrow here? The concern is that we sorrow? What's going on here? How does God feel at the funerals that we conduct? How would you even know how God feels at anything? You find how Jesus felt at an event. And that's how God feels. He's the physical expression of what God feels. You can find Jesus at a funeral in John chapter 11. Know how God feels at our funerals. Look in John chapter 11. And you're going to find it's totally okay to grieve. In fact, Jesus himself wept. It says this in John 11 verse 33. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping. So Lazarus, his friend, had passed away. Mary and Martha, the two sisters, were there grieving. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. He said, where have you laid him? Then they said to him, 
Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. I mean, he cried. I was at a funeral in high school, and I wasn't a Christian, but I was crying. I wasn't overwhelmed, but I was, I, was, I was crying. And this other guy came up to me, put his arm around me, and said, Tim, <clears throat> Tim, real men don't cry. So I listened to him, wiped away the tears, and I stopped crying. Then later on, I became a believer in Jesus. And I read about the toughest man in history, Jesus. I mean, this guy looked like a wimp. Jesus was tough. And I saw three times he cried, just wept over an individual, over a city. He looked over the houses in a city and just bawled. And he wept over humanity. Toughest man in history. Cried. I think he cried for a number of reasons. He lost his friend. And that hurts. I think he cried because other people were crying. And he's grieving with them. If you, that's, that's what compassion does in you. You feel their sorrows. God feels our sorrows at our funerals. I think he also cried because death was never God's intention. People were supposed to live forever. We caused sin. We brought in death. This is never God's intention. He brought the solution to it, but that hurt. And Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, in English at least, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. You can see how much God loves or what God feels by looking at Jesus. And so here's this, this larger thought you can take in your notes if you'd like. With Jesus, our grief is mingled with hope. With Jesus, what's different about our grief? We grieve just as bad. But we have hope mingled into our grief. I've been at funerals where I've watched people grieve with no hope. I watched them. This person, I think to myself, has no hope. None. But what Paul, Silas, and Timothy write is in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. It's not wrong to have sorrow. That's healthiness. Our God himself weeps with us at our funerals. But verse 13, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others. Because those people have no hope. Okay, sorrow. It, we grieve with hope. So where is our hope? What is our hope in? That's the next phrase to look for. The phrase is with him. The phrase is with him. The reason we have hope at funerals of those who've received Christ is they're no longer right here. They're with him. Right now, alert and awake with Jesus. Everybody lives forever somewhere. Everyone lives forever somewhere. And if you have Christ, you're with him. And you see that, by the way, in verse 14. In verse 14, Paul goes on. He says, for if, this only applies to those if you meet this condition. If, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that's the criteria. Even so, God will bring with him. There's our phrase. They are with him. So he's going to bring them with him. Bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Not all who are dead or asleep. Only those who sleep in Jesus. Those who believe Jesus died and rose again. 
So this is what, one of the things that you find in the Bible. Anybody who actually got a preview of heaven, if you actually saw heaven, every day on earth, you feel like you're getting ripped off. Every day is a rip off on earth. Because I saw heaven. Paul talks about that Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. He's sitting in jail. He's miserable. Philippians 1, verse 23. And he's, he's struggling between two options for somebody who's a believer. Stay here with you people because you need me. Or go on, because I'm getting ripped off every day on earth. He says, verse Philippians 1.23, For I am hard-pressed between the two. Two options. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better than here. Far, not a little bit, far better. People get previews of heaven, feel ripped off on earth every day they wake up. You say, what are people doing in heaven? Write down three chapters. You get a sense of what these people without bodies, their souls are in heaven, their bodies still on earth. What are they doing in heaven? Revelation 6, Revelation 7, Luke 15. Revelation 6, Revelation 7, Luke 15. Gives you a sense of what people are doing in heaven without their bodies yet. Paul got a preview. That's 2 Corinthians 12. He got a preview of heaven. He says in verse 24, I'd like to go there. That's far better than staying here. Verse 24, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh, to stay alive, is more needful for you. I'm here for you people, is what he says. Which is why all of us are alive. The day God is done with you in your journey, then he brings you home. Which is why suicide is so wrong. You're telling God, it's not your choice. My choice. I'm done. But if you're still breathing, there's a reason. If you're still breathing, there's a reason from God to use you. It's also telling other people, I myself am not going to help you anymore. I'm done helping you people. Where Paul said, I'm miserable, i got a preview, and I'm staying here for you people. It's better to go to heaven. And so, guys, here's the thing. Our grief is mingled with hope. Go back to verse 15 now. He says, for this we say to you, back in 1 Thessalonians 4, it's far better to go. Now jump back to verse uh, verse 14. If we believe Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. He's going he's gonna to do a roundup. What is Jesus doing right now? He's seated at the right hand of God. He is sitting down. He's praying for us 24-7. Hey, would you do this for them? Do this for me. Do this in my name. He prays constantly until one of these days he gets off the throne. He says, round him up. I'm taking all you souls without bodies back to earth. We're going to get you some bodies. And he leads a roundup, heads them back in verse 15. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. He's addressing the concern of this new church plant. So people who died, are they missing out? Are we going to get something they don't know? The dead rise first. And why does he say alive and remain? Isn't that the same thing? So there are so many rabbit trails, so many important other issues like suicide, the alive and remain, all types of things. I don't have time today in this talk, but I'm going to give you additional bonus information uh, during a Facebook live talk on Tuesday at 2 o'clock. I'm going to answer the questions on suicide, questions on alive and remain, what's going on here, and more. If you can't listen at 2 o'clock on Tuesday, just go to my blog afterwards. Go to timhowie.com slash blog, and I'm going to post more information about death, the resurrection, those kinds of things there. Keep going to verse 16 now. For the Lord himself 
will descend from heaven with three sounds. A shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. That means that God will take their bodies or their ashes wherever they're at. He's just that big. He's just that good. Reassemble their bodies. Brings their souls to the clouds. He raises their bodies and reconnects for the first time their resurrected body with their soul. Now I got to help some of you students who are going to go off to college. You're going to hear well-meaning, intentioned, sincere, ignorant professors make this comment. You need these three chapters, my friends. If you're going to go to college, my professors at college made this comment. In this comparative religion, Western civilization class. Here's what they said. They actually uttered these words. You see, the Jewish people did not believe in an actual resurrection. The Jewish prophets didn't talk about it. It was only in the New Testament. Jesus talked about the resurrection. But yeah, the Old Testament did not talk about resurrection. And that sounds great. And these are sincere people, sincerely ignorant of what the Bible actually says. Because they're just parroting what their professor told them. They're parroting They haven't checked this thing out. You need these three chapters to educate your ignorant professor. Write these three chapters down. Job chapter 19, Isaiah 26, Daniel 12. Job 19, Isaiah 26, Daniel 12. I know you're sincere. I know you're educated. God bless your heart. You don't know what the Bible actually says. They did believe in resurrection. And by the way, write down Mark 12, 24. Jesus also believed in it. Resurrection of the dead. All right. Keep going to verse 17 now. The dead rise first with this big sound across the world. Then instantly after that, we who are alive and remain. What's that talking about? He says in verse 17, then, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. There's Jesus in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. You might have heard of a term before called the rapture. The rapture of the church. And it's, it's a term used for the catching away of the church into the clouds. This moment. And, and so you're going to hear people make this comment, which is 100% true. Nowhere in the Bible do you find the word rapture. That's 100% true. It's also true. Nowhere in the Bible do you find the word Bible. Nowhere in the Bible do you find the word Bible in the Bible. Yet we believe in the Bible. Though the Bible doesn't say the word Bible. You do see the word, the word, the word rapture in a different phrasing. Look back at verse 17 again. You see the word phrase caught up? The living caught up? That's a translation from the Greek into English. We translate that caught up. But when you translate that same Greek word into Latin, and there are many Latin Bibles in the early church, that phrase is translated raptured. Because the word rapture is the word caught up. It's just in Latin right there. There is the rapture, the catching away of the church. Paul gives more technical information about the rapture or the catching away of the church in 1 Corinthians 15. If you look in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, he says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Okay, you can type in the word mystery into a Bible search program. You're going to find six or seven different words called, this is a mystery. These are mysteries that were now solved. They used to be mysteries to the Old Testament prophets. They're like, what's going on here? But the New Testament solves these mysteries. Several teachings. This is one of those teachings solved by the New Testament. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Everybody won't be dead yet. But we shall all be changed. It's a big transformation. In a moment, 
in the twinkling of an eye, like a fraction of a second, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. Like this will totally interrupt whatever you're doing. Driving on the road. Gone. Eating food. Gone. Paying bills. Gone. Good news. You know. Sleeping. Gone. See, Tim, what do I look like? What do we look like when we get this resurrected body? I don't know. I got a Bible verse that says that. First John 3, 2. John says, I don't know. I don't know, what we, but we know it's going to be amazing and cool and different. He goes on in verse 53. For this corruptible must put, put on incorruption. The corruptible body that can get injured and sick has to get a body that can no longer get injured and sick. And this mortal, this body that will die, that's a weird thought. I mean, look at your body. Your, your body is going to die. There'll be a funeral for me someday. I mean, literally ones and twos of people will be there. It'll be amazing. Our, our mortal must put on immortality. Verse 54, when this corruptible has put on incorruption, this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. He quotes two Old Testament prophecies. Death is swallowed up in victory. That's Isaiah 25. And then, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? That's Hosea 13. Yeah, death is like a bee with a stinger pulled out. It's just more of a nuisance. There's no sting anymore in it. It's an amazing thought. Here's this larger thought for you. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Jesus will resurrect, transform, and reunite us. That's what he's going to do. And I say us, I mean some of us. I'm using the us in the sense that Paul using it. Us, the church, those who, if you believe Jesus died and rose again, he's going to resurrect his followers. He's going to pull your ashes wherever they're at, their atoms where you're at, your body, reconstitute your body. You say, is, can God even do that? Jesus, in Mark 12, 24, Mark 12, 24 says, of course God can do this. If you don't believe in his power to do that, one of two things are going on, Jesus said. Either you don't believe the scriptures, because the scripture talks about resurrection or you don't believe your God is big enough. You have a puny, tiny God. He will resurrect his followers. He will transform his followers. We'll be changed. We get new bodies and new minds and new awareness and new consciousness. And now there's no more sin, no more pain, no more sleepiness, no more death, no more gain and weight, no more knee surgeries. And he's going to reunite us, bring us back together. And you'll be like instantly interrupted in the middle of food. Boom, you're there. Peter. That's what you look like? Peter. How cool is this? John. I'm going to see Leo and Lois Humphrey, mentors of mine, friends of mine who passed. They are with the Lord right now. Leo. Lois. Reunite us. Guys, this is our, what our hope is. Our hope is that when people die, if you receive Jesus as Savior, they are with him. The resurrection is coming. Now, there's a third phrase to look for. It's a word to look for. It's the word comfort. The word comfort is in verse 18. Look back at 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 8. It's actually a commandment for us to help others who are grieving. We are commanded to use these words to help comfort somebody else. He says this in verse 18. Therefore... 
comfort one another with these, these very words that we're reading. That means you need to write down or know where it's at, First Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, because these words, you're commanded to comfort somebody else. And this is one of the one another's of Scripture. We're told to blank one another, blank one another, blank one another, 66 times in Scripture. Love one another. Forgive one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. And here, comfort one another. Comfort one another with these very words. One caveat. I know somebody's going to, you, you're, you're gung-ho, you're a hard charger. You're going to take these words and shove them on somebody's nose when they're grieving. Hey, I, I am commanded to comfort you. Read this. Hold on. James 1.19 gives you a cautionary note. James 1.19 says, sit in silence with him first. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, listen to them, slow to speak, sit in silence with them, slow to wrath. And I want to share a story with you now. Here is a picture of Don and Terry Mapes. Don and Terry met uh, years ago. They got married. Uh, they joined our church several years ago. About four years ago, Don got sick, really sick. And uh, it was last fall, Don passed away. And this is still fresh for Terry. So I reached out to her. I asked her, would you be willing to share some words about your journey? Because uh, Don's a, a believer, a former pastor, executive pastor. She was very kind. I'd like to read some of Terry's words on her journey uh, from a few months ago. She wrote this. Our journey began in the spring of 2012. Don was diagnosed with multiple systems atrophy. It's something that shuts your systems down slowly. And... Bone marrow cancer at the same time. The cancer remained in remission, but the multiple systems atrophy continued to manifest itself. Over four years, he lost his balance, his strength, his dexterity. He stopped being able to walk. Here's an athlete. Can no longer walk. By the way, this is my side note. He was sentenced to misery in a chair, a recliner. That's where he ended up in. He says he couldn't walk. He couldn't feed himself. She writes, we knew Don was dying. We talked about it quite a bit, whether he was afraid of dying and what I would do when he died. I thought, she says, I'd be prepared when the time came. In the weeks he was in hospice, we would pray at night for the Lord to take him home, to end his suffering, because he was suffering. Then he'd wake up the next day. and He'd say, why am I still here and not in heaven? When Don passed away the afternoon of September 20th, I kissed his body before the funeral home took him. And even though I was crying, I felt calm. I was able to call family, make decisions, eat, even sleep. I knew Don, Lee was, Don was finally at home, and I knew he was healed. She says, When you're surrounded by the family and friends, you don't have time to think. And I believe that blanket of comfort with helping me at that time, but after the funeral, it gets hard. You hear that, she writes, but until you experience it, you don't quite understand the severity of emotions and thoughts and almost a feeling of panic. I saw a commercial, she writes, for the world's fastest roller coaster the other day, and I thought, that's exactly what I felt like. The slow, painful climb uphill, that was as he was slowly dying, where everything is in slow motion, but you know when you reach the top, you're in for the ride of your life. And I'd be driving in the car feeling great. Then a song would come on the radio. And all of a sudden, I'd be in a full 
uncontrollable cry, bawling. And at night, when the lights go out, I climbed into bed, floods of emotions. Why me? Why him? What we had was so sweet. Why us? Yet what comforted me was I knew where he was. That he was in the arms of his heavenly father and he was whole again. The athlete sentenced to a recliner was now whole again. Yet I hollered at God, why does it have to be so hard? Some days were good and some not so good. And then all those horrible firsts, the first Thanksgiving without him, the first Christmas without him, the first New Year's without him, the first Valentine's without him, and our birthdays. I didn't want to walk through them, but I did, knowing my Jesus was right there with me. I wish I could say that it was easy for me. So easy because I love and trust my Heavenly Father. But it hasn't been easy. I don't expect it to go away anytime soon. Maybe someday the bite will be gone. And all the sweet memories remain. But I do know, this time of grief has brought me closer to Jesus. Has reinforced in my heart what I can say with my mouth. What I read in my devotions. The way I try to live my life. Here she concludes. This has been the most difficult, yet sweetest time in my life. Losing a husband. But gaining the peace and comfort only Jesus can provide. Really, really knowing I am not alone. While I finish my journey. Is there anything about being a follower of Jesus. That makes our grieving different. Yes. Absolutely. Our grief is mingled. With hope. Knowing who they are with. How they are feeling. What they are experiencing. And one of these days. God resurrecting. Transforming. Reuniting us together. And we are commanded to comfort one another. In fact, you want to take, uh, just right now, grab your phone. If there's somebody that you've not reached out to in some time, it's been in the last year somebody passed away or two years, you got to text them right now. Hey, I was thinking about you. How you doing? To reach out to these people because it's much harder after the funeral. The support level just drops off. Maybe we don't mean to, but life happens. And we are supposed to comfort one another. With these very words, the words of comfort. I'm going to close with verse 14, because it's just just a big if. Everybody lives forever somewhere. And if you have Christ, that somewhere is with the Lord. That's only if, though. Verse 14 said, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Do you believe Jesus died and rose again? It is the most important question of life. There is no, everything else is second, third, fourth. This is the question. Have you believed Jesus died and rose again? Have you surrendered everything to him? Have you placed your faith in him? I'm going to give you a chance to do this right now. We've had people this weekend do this. I want to encourage you. My prayer is a sample prayer. It's not going to do it for you. You have to take my prayer and make it your own. With your faith and your words, the best way you know how, surrender to Jesus right now. I beg you. Let's pray. Jesus, we do come to you. And 
we, we beg you on behalf of those everywhere who you've been working in their life, orchestrating this very moment, that they would give their life to you. Would you please, please, Jesus, help them, inspire them, prompt them, pull them, compel them, love them, and have their, have their spirit be willing to place their faith in you and surrender everything to you right now. God, please, I pray you do a work. Wherever you're at, our heads are bowed. If you'd like to take this prayer, make it your own, I beg you, you would make this your faith and your words prayed directly to Jesus on the throne. Pray this. Pray, dear Jesus, I give my life to you right now. Pray, Jesus, thank you for taking my place on the cross, for paying for my sins on the cross. Thank you. And then pray this, Jesus, I place my faith in the fact that you died and rose again. And then pray this, Jesus, I give myself to you. I give everything to you right now. I surrender myself, my heart, my life, my future. This prayer is full surrender. I am yours by faith. And our heads are still bowed wherever you're at. If you pray this, this is the most important, greatest moment of your life. Life changing, eternity changing, on earth changing. And I pray you'd sense his love and acceptance and encourage you your first step is to show the world through baptism that you did this God we pray this we pray people's hearts and lives would be changed and they would show the world by joining you in baptism displaying that they have received you by faith in Jesus name Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.